Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From building a well-balanced college list and developing a payment strategy to creating a high school plan and more. Each episode will help guide your family through various steps of the process. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I am your host, Shannon Vasconcelos, and I hope all of our listeners out there are enjoying their summers. It is officially hot and humid here in Massachusetts, so if you see me glistening, that's what's going on here. Uh, But I hope everyone out there is is having a good time with their summer, taking a little bit of downtown downtime before the school year kicks in again, which is going to happen before we know it. Um, and we do have a great show lined up for you today. In the back half of the show, my colleague Kira Tyler is going to be joining me for the second month in a row to answer listener-submitted questions. And Kira and I had a great time answering your questions last month, so I'm really excited to tackle some more with Kira today. But first... We are going to be talking with Karen Kristoff, who is Assistant Vice President of Enrollment and Dean of Admission at Colorado College. Welcome, Karen. Oh, Shannon, such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad to have you here. I imagine it's hot in Colorado, but probably not as humid as in New England. Would you, am I right about that? You are absolutely right. We are um, already into the 80s and it's only morning still, (laughs) but definitely I lived 20 years in Massachusetts, so I do not miss the New England humidity. That's for sure. No, yeah, I think I might be in the wrong locale, but it's better than, you know, Florida, someplace like that. So, so I'll, I'll live with, with the summers here in New England. Um, But, but thanks for coming, Karen. And this segment is part of kind of an ongoing series that we're doing to help expose students and their families to some awesome colleges that they might possibly not know uh, too much about. You know, it's not the 20 schools that you hear about on the news every day, but schools that might be a fantastic fit for some of our listeners out there in podcast land. Um, And I think Colorado College is one of those schools. Um, You know, those of us in the know, (laughs) know about Colorado College and know what a great school it is. but those who don't have a lot of experience in, in the college world or might not be in, in Colorado or out West, um, you know, they might not know a whole lot about Colorado College. They might get confused. Is this the University of Colorado? Is this Colorado State? And it is, Colorado College is not either of those schools, also great schools, but, but very different, right, Karen? So could you give us like the quick kind of elevator pitch on Colorado College? Yeah, you are absolutely right. So. We are a small college of about 2,300 students. And my elevator pitch would be, we are a distinctive academic program in a distinctive location. Uh, So we have a one class at a time block plan and we are located in the Rocky Mountain West, not the hub of small liberal arts colleges, that's (laughs) for sure. Um, So we really, I think, leverage both that unique academic structure and our location to provide a world-class education for our students who come from all over everywhere to enroll in Colorado College. That's fantastic. So you mentioned that Colorado College is a liberal arts college, and we use that term a lot, but I'm not sure that everybody really knows what that means. Can you explain what liberal arts, a liberal arts school is, at least to you? 
Sure. Yeah. Great question. And sometimes people will say liberal arts and sciences to underscore that we are not just about music, dance, theater. So we are comprehensive, small institutions um, that are helping students to identify an area of interest or multiple interests so that major or minor, but are also because we believe in the value of learning across disciplines, making sure that students know a little about a lot of things um, and that they have an opportunity in their major or majors or majors and minors to focus on one thing. So our goal is to broadly educate students to go out and have an impact in the world, um, be able to address global and social issues, be able to, wherever their career might take them or graduate school, really be able to understand things from a broad series of perspectives because they've had to do literature and they've had to do STEM and they've had to do arts and everything in between. Yes, and and you mentioned your block plan curriculum, which I think is really, really unique. Can you, you mentioned it's one class at a time. Can you kind of explain a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So since 1970, we have had, uh, we started as a semester school, very traditional. And then in the late 60s, started to look at, you know, things were going well, but could we do anything different? And one thing that professors were thinking at that time and students were thinking at that time is, what if I could just have a sole focus on one subject? What if I could just take a deep, immersive dive? And what if I'm a faculty member and I only want to have one class that I'm teaching so I can give these students my full undivided attention? And so from there came something first called the master plan and then turned into the block plan. Um, so it's a pretty simple structure in that students go to class in the mornings, typically about three hours a day. Um, and then the afternoons are devoted to studios and labs and studying and writing papers and reading a lot of literature, if that's what they're in, but depending on their subject are kind of continuing the learning outside of the classroom. So classes start and end in a three and a half week period. Um, so we have eight blocks over the course of the year. So you get to your pretty typical college four subjects in the fall and four subjects in, in the spring, um, but you do it in this very highly immersed way. Classes are capped so that most classes are 25 to 30 students, can't really get much bigger than that. And the idea is that students are learning in a very immersive way and really allows them to, to meet the material. In it, It's just very engaged and very exciting um, because the, the class is a unit learning together. Um, over this very intensive three and a half weeks. That sounds so interesting. I, I love just the thought of being able to focus on one thing at a time and you still get the same number of classes that you would get in, you know, within a semester or a school year, but one at a time is very, very intriguing to me. And I can see the benefits. Mentioned one detail that small detail, but it might be important to, to folks that all the classes are in the morning, right? <laughs> For the most part, faculty have some say over whether they might want to do an afternoon, but um, there are no eight o'clock classes here. So that's a good thing. <laughs> um, so generally classes start at nine or nine thirty um, okay. and go for about, about three hours. I think the other thing that's cool about the block plan is after a block ends, so you start and finish in three and a half weeks, then that's usually a Wednesday at noon that you're finished and you don't have to start your next class till the following Monday morning. So we call these block breaks. So four and a half days to take a deep exhale, um, check out our beautiful location in Southern Colorado at the foot, foot of Pikes Peak Mountain, um, or to just be able to engage in something that you're committed to, uh, whether it's a part-time job, an internship downtown. So I think it's also a really nice way to have a mix. You're not waiting for that 
long Thanksgiving week, um, you get a little bit of breaks and uh, time to reflect and refresh um, during the course of the year. So uh, that's also a really interesting aspect of how the calendar is structured here. It really is. And I want to give a shout out because I was playing around on your website before the, recording this, and you have this really cool tool called, what is it called? Build Your Block Plan. And you can go in and play around with what eight courses would I like to take over the course of the year? What are my blocks? What do I want to do with all the different block breaks? So in mine, I'm taking economics and ethics, and then I'm taking art and music from ancient to modern times. And then I'm taking civilization in the Middle East. And in between, I'm doing a trip to Vail. I'm I am taking mathematical explorations of poker. <laughs> so if, if this concept is at all intriguing to folks, go around and play with that build your block plan because I thought it was really fun and gave a nice little image of what your schooling could look like. Yeah, thanks, it's a really fun tool. And we put actual classes in there. So we want students to do exactly what you've done. Like imagine what this would look like, right? You know, and, and part of it is just seeing you can do some things in sequence, but we actually have ways, let's say that you had selected instead of mathematical economics, you had selected the first year of Japanese, let's say, mm -hmm. um, and you decided, well, okay, I'm really worried that I'm not going to take this class again until the spring. So we also have this, op this opportunity called adjuncts where you've got that time in the afternoon. And so maybe you just want to join a lunch table or join a conversational or discussion, or you're learning how to play the cello, um, or you're really deep into some physics research. And so these adjunct opportunities can enhance your single block as well. That is really cool. And I noticed on your website that you have some very unique fields of study, majors and minors that students, you've got all the, the usual suspects. You can major in English, you can major in biology, right? But there were some fun ones in there. Yeah, so two that I like to highlight are Southwest Studies. And so it's sort of a cultural, educational, linguistic sort of deep dive into the region of the country where we are, um, the American Southwest and the Mexican border. So um, what's really also nice about the block plan is, let's say you're taking one of those Southwest Studies classes, and it would be better for you to actually have the class at the US-Mexico border um, because you're learning in a very experiential way. Well, guess what? You can do that because you don't have to rush back to campus for your other classes. You have that as your focus. And so I think that's one of those areas, one of those majors that's not just fascinating and a little bit unique, um, but also really works well when you can be experiential. Um, a hugely popular one on the newer side within our business economics department is business, economics, and society. And ask really interesting questions. Are corporations people? <laughs> and if they aren't people, which they are not, um, what is their responsibility to society? What's my responsibility as uh, someone who is contributing um, to corporate life? So really trying to tie in some of the ethical as well as economic and societal sort of influences in that sphere. So um, it, it, is, it is probably a great example of how you could do a business and economics major and still bring in all of those elements of a liberal arts college asking good philosophical questions. I love that because Karen, you are speaking to an economics major. And if that had been the op an option at my college, that is exactly the major I would have chosen. That sounds so interesting to me. Um, but that's, that's really great. Now, how about, do you, I know some of our students are interested um, in college's honors programs. Do you have an honors program at Colorado College? So we don't segment students that way because we're a small school. So, yeah. um, so the academic expectations are the same for everyone. For everyone. 
So do tell me about your student body. It's small. What What is this size? What kind of diversity do you have on campus? Sure. Yeah, so we're about 2,300 students um, from nearly every state in the U.S. Um, and about 50 countries outside the U.S., uh, about 26% identif- self-identify as students of color. Um, only about 18, 18 to 19% of our students are Coloradans. So we're, it's, I will tell you, sometimes it's easier to talk about small liberal arts colleges in Boston um, than it is in Denver, uh, because we are certainly a state with lots of huge and amazing um, public institutions and larger private institutions. So, um, so we really are very much a national and international student body. Um, and, and, and yet we do love our Coloradans because I think they really are making a very serious commitment to be in a place that's down the road potentially, but really kind of reflects the world. Um, so that's, that's, that's a little bit about our student body. And in terms of what they major in, we're pretty typical in terms of pretty much widely distributed um, across the curriculum, close to 40% that are doing STEM. Um, but we have the usual sort of variety of students doing all kinds of really interesting things um, uh, w- within the sort of the breadth of the entire curriculum across the arts and humanities as well. That's fantastic. And I know that you mentioned the diversity on your campus and that having a diverse campus is something that is important to Colorado College. And if you're regular listeners to our show are, should be aware of the news because we did a, a, a large segment on it the other day, but the Supreme Court um, recently made a ruling against the use of of race in the college admissions process. Do you know yet, Karen, how that is going to uh, affect you there at Colorado College? That's a great question, right? So I think, first of all, it gives us an opportunity to recommit ourselves to compositional racial diversity and to say race was never a checkbox. When you talk about a holistic admission process, you're trying to figure out who that individual is. You know, who is this person? How would you understand them in the context of their school, of their community, of their city, their state, their country? So really doing, you know, recommitting ourselves to a, a, to a deep dive into who this person is, um, what they've accomplished and what they have the potential to contribute to um, and benefit from um, within the block plan, within sort of any of the programs that you see. So, I think we're one of the places that we and lots of other institutions are still working on is how might we ask a question in addition to the required questions on the Common App, the Apply Score application and the QuestBridge application. So we have had a question traditionally that's been, you know, what's, you know, what do you think of the block plan and how will it enhance your educational goals? We're going to keep some of that we suspect Mm -hmm. in our question, but we're also going to use this as an opportunity to say to students, we want to see you. We want to understand who you are. And we want you to tell us what has influenced you. How did, how did you get to this point? What is it in your background and experiences that will help us really understand this in a way that you can identify? Um, part of me feels like it's a lot for a student to do. So I'm grateful that there are people like you that will assist them <laughs> in figuring out how they do that. I'm not sure. I'm 58. I'm not sure exactly who I am. <laughs> but I do appreciate that students will give us some clues uh, yes. about the things that have brought them up to this moment and the things that have influenced them. And thank you for saying that, because I do think that students put a lot of pressure on themselves to create this perfect package in a, in a college application or a college essay that the colleges are looking for perfection. But I think that is a very important point that you are looking for the reflections 
of, you know, a 17 year old. You don't have to be anything besides what you are. And when students try to be something else, that's usually where they go astray. So just be yourself. Karen wants to get to know you. That's all. <laughs> yeah. So what, what kinds of students do you think would be a, a really good fit for Colorado? And I guess vice versa, who, who maybe wouldn't be yeah. a good fit for Colorado? Sure. I think that's such an interesting question, right? Because I think one of the things that I've always believed in, it believed in my work um, in admission, and it's like more than three decades for me at this point, is you have to know your institution, right? Because I think we're all looking for, we all say these words, talented, self-motivated, interesting, bright. But, but what does that mean in the context of a place like Colorado College? So, you know, for us, we think a lot about the block plan. Are you excited about learning? Are you resilient? Um, students talk about the last half week of the block plan as week four. I think that's sort of intentional. It's not a full week, but boy, it's the end, right? It's when all the stuff is often due. It's like having finals a bunch of times, right? Just one subject though. So not finals in four topics or five topics. Um, but I, we often think about that resilience we think about a sense of adventure and this little one's a little harder to capture, right? Because I think for some that's being outdoors, no doubt that Colorado attracts those that want to hike and ski and all those things. But what about a sense of intellectual adventure? What about someone who is going to ask really thoughtful questions in these seminar style blocks, who's going to challenge the professor, who's going to be eager to learn from their peers, right? So some of these things that a little bit harder to qualify, um, but I think that's been why we've leaned on a question that says, "Hey, how do you how do you figure out this block plan thing? What does this mean to you? What mm -hmm. resonates for you about it? Um, and are you know is there a way to think about? We we love to talk about how time moves differently here, as though we exist in an alternate universe. Um, but no one did until I got here to work at CC three years ago. I never used the word blockly. You know, block was a now, not an adverb. Right. <laughs> we talk about like the way in which you have to be, you have a new set of academic peers every month, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. You are doing a hard pivot academically with pleasure, hopefully, um, or you're, you're, you got to take this class like we all had to do in college that you didn't love, but it's really over in three and a half weeks. Um, so I think some of those skills of grit, some of those skills of resilience, it is interesting because I think learners who are a little bit um, different for whom, for instance, seven classes in high school just about drives them batty. Um, the one class at a time works well, for instance, for students that have attention challenges yeah. um, who might have learning differences. And so um, it, it's been one of the things that's been really fun to discover that, in fact, a place like Colorado College where you can have that singular focus really allows us to consider a wider range of learners than some highly selective colleges do. That makes a whole lot of sense. And I, and I can absolutely, I can picture myself who does not have any kind of substantial learning difference, but being drawn in all different directions at once, I think can take away from the over, I'm so stressed about getting all my work done for all these classes that I'm not appreciating what I'm learning in, in each individual one. And your block plan is very unique in that way and solves to that problem that, that may exist at, with other learning experiences. So that's really great. Um, and you had mentioned your Rocky Mountain location as a sort of a very pivotal part of the, the Colorado College experience. Can you tell me, I've never been to Colorado Springs. What is it like there? 
Great question. So we're the second largest city in Colorado after Denver, about 700,000 people in the metropolitan area. Um, we're located just under a mile from downtown. So we are in this residential neighborhood called the Old North End, um, which if the architecture were Spanish in Boston, it might look a little bit like Boston, right? Okay. Not exactly the North End, but uh, so we have a, a you know architecture that looks very much like the Southwest. Um, but it's a lovely green, especially uh, this uh, summer when we've had a lot of rain here, lovely green residential campus, not very far from more hustle and bustle of a downtown area. So I think we like to think of ourselves as being one of those schools that can sort of accommodate both. Um, our students uh, have some really cool ways to get downtown, Lime scooters. Uh, we have an e-bike uh, free loan program for students where you get, I think it's 90 minutes a day on a on the Pikes Ride e-bike. Um, so we're a pretty big place when it comes to sustainability. Um, and I think, you know, Colorado Springs certainly has, uh, is known for a lot of things, but I think one of the things that's anchored the city has been our connection to the U.S. Olympic Committee, Olympic Training Center, the headquarters of the U.S. Mm. Olympic Committee, um, some of our famous alums, uh, like Peggy Fleming, the skater, and lots of others who have been medalists um, have often used Colorado Springs. So we have this wonderful thing in an adjacent community called the Manitou Incline, which is essentially one mile straight up, uh, all steps. And you might see Apollo Ono um, practicing on the incline if he wants to work on his cardio, right? Because this is, Colorado Springs is a place where many Olympians end up training. Um, we are, we're at 6,000 feet. So we also have a little bit of altitude, um, which can help help or hurt in training, depending on yes. what you're going to do. Um, but uh, it's just a really, and we are in the shadow of Pikes Peak, um, America's Mountain, um, that Purple Mountain's Majesty and America's Beautiful. That was apparently the lyrics for Pikes Peak. So we have these gorgeous mountain views. Um, if you are directionally challenged, as I can often be, if I look to the west, and I see mountains, I know I'm going in the right direction. Perfect. So. <laughs> <laughs> and what um, sounds like there's a big sports kind of atmosphere with the Olympic Committee and everything there. What other kinds of, of extracurriculars? Do yeah, you have? so we have a huge outdoor program. So a lot of students that are hiking and biking. Um, we have everything from the beginning of, you know, like you've, you, you've never done this before. You've never climbed before. We want to teach you how to do it. Uh, so we've got it to those who are very, very experienced. Um, there are 58 mountains at or above 14,000 feet in Colorado. So the those that do this regularly call them 14ers. And so some people have done, you know, 56 of the 58 14ers when they get to Colorado College. Some of us have done no 14ers when we got to Colorado. So um, I think there's a it's a, it's a beautiful place to be outside. The winters are, the temperature varies The at 6,000 feet with lots of sun. We have 300 days of sunshine um, a year. We end up sort of with snow that doesn't really linger. Um, so it's just a lovely place to be outside. But I think we have our usual sort of music arts. Um, we have 15 division three, 2D1 sports. We have, you know, lots of cultural affinity groups, really active weekly newspaper called The Catalyst, uh, lots of students interested in political and social issues. So, you know, wow. a wide range of things that students are into. That's fantastic. And so if this sounds great to, to folks out there and they, maybe I should apply to, to Colorado College, can you give us a sense of it's not an easy school to get into, is it? No, it's not. So, I mean, our overall selectivity runs between 15 and 20 okay. percent. Um, but we are one of those schools where if you discover us slightly earlier, 
um, we, it, is, it is more advantageous. So we have both early action and early decision. And so our admit rates, because we have all of our spaces and all of our financial aid, admit rates run a little bit higher, um, as much mm-hmm. as 30 to 40% for early decision, okay. and then closer to 25% for early action. So I think if you could discover us by November 1st, you're maximizing your opportunity to be admitted. Incredibly good tip. And you're on the Common App? We're on the Common App, we're on the QuestBridge application and the, what used to be called Coalition Now, apply slash score, what, whatever they're calling it. That, that <laughs> You're on it, whatever it is, yeah. <laughs> and how about your testing po- policy, test optional? We have been test optional since before the pandemic and we are now moving into a, uh, we're not test blind, but we are moving into a something of a no harm policy this year, which is to say if you submit scores, we're not gonna use them negatively in the evaluation process. They might ha- they might enhance your application, but in some cases we have students submit scores that don't help their case and academically they are quite strong. And so we are uh, putting together a policy to sort of make sure that in the review process, we would potentially overemphasize academic performance in situations where we see a really good fit academically, but test scores were more modest. Got it, very helpful for folks to know. And you had mentioned You've got currently one supplementary essay, according to your website, I think at this very moment, asking about how, I'll just read it because I have it. Why do you wish to attend Colorado College and how would the block plan serve your educational goals? Any tips for students on, on completing that supplement of what you're, what you're, why you asked that, what you're looking to get out of that question? Yeah, and I think we're going to change that a little bit um, in light of recent developments. Um, But I think that what we want is your story, right? So I think the block plan will be part of any final question. And we only have a few weeks left before we get that final question uh, (laughs) finished uh, by August 1st. But I think really no need to tell us what what we've already told you in our materials or website. Tell us a story about you. Tell us a story about why this sounds fascinating to you. Um, tell us a story about my, how it might have sounded skeptical until you did the build your own block plan or started to think about your learning style, right? Uh, we don't really need it to be our words. It needs to be your experiences and your background. So um, I think whatever you can do to help us understand that, that would be awesome. Fantastic. And and so folks, take note if you're thinking of applying to Colorado College, don't start working on that supplement quite yet. <laughs> it's going to change a little bit. So wait after August 1st and, and you have the final question. That, that's great to know, Karen. And how about um, your financial aid programs? Is there support for students who need it at Colorado College? Yes. We meet full demonstrated financial need. We make most decisions need blind. We do make some need aware decisions, but our commitment is to meet full demonstrated financial need of any student that we have. That's fantastic. And I, I saw a reference on your website to the Colorado Pledge for Colorado residents. Can you fill us in on what that is? Sure. That is basically taking our cost and keying them to the flagship state university for our Colorado families, basically saying, uh, based on income and typical assets, um, we can sort of give you a sense for what you would pay, and it would be no higher than what it would cost for you to go to our state flagship. That is such a fantastic commitment to Colorado residents, and that's something that we always remind folks to not discount the private colleges because you see in terms of sticker price, a huge cost differential in in many cases, private colleges, your actual net price to attend a private colleges in some cases will be equivalent with 
um, with your state schools. And it's great that Colorado absolutely makes that pledge, that guarantee to Colorado residents. So that that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, how about merit scholarships? Do you have some? Uh, just a little bit of merit-based aid, not much. Uh, most of our resources are for uh, need-based financial aid. But I think you're absolutely right about checking out net price calculators, not making assumption about sticker prices. I think that's all part of really good research as you as you pass uh, August 1 and start that application process. That's so great. And how about what kind of career support? I know sometimes I hear it's from the parents, not the students. <laughs> They get concerned about a liberal arts college and they think that their student needs to be very career focused from day one. We try to convince them that that's not necessarily the case, <laughs> that liberal arts colleges prepare you in so many ways to work out in the world, work with people, work on issues. What kind of career support for the parents out there that are worried do you provide at Colorado? Yeah, so we have a wonderful career center, um, career coaching for students one-on-one, -on -one, groups, helping them sort of develop that first resume, apply for that first internship. So lots of great resources in that way. I think the case for liberal arts is careers change, lives change. Um, who would have known where we would be, for instance, uh, with, the, um, with the Supreme Court this summer, right? So the ability to be agile, to know how to learn, to know how to approach something new, and I'll make my final plug for CC by saying that the block plan teaches you how to work really hard, how to get something done that's complicated in a short period of time, and then take a rest. Um, and that's kind of how the world is. I mean, I don't know about you, Shannon, but when I have a big deadline, I go, go, go. And then I need to have a nice nap um, when it's all finished. So <laughs> I think that, that those skills, you know, I hear from CC alums, law school is not so hard. Med school is not so hard. I know how to take a lot of complicated material and digest it and be ready to use it. I think that is a perfect place to leave folks. So thank you so much, Karen, for joining us. I learned so much about Colorado College. I want to take my time machine and go back to school at Colorado College. But but thank you again for sharing all this great info. And I'm sure our, our listeners learned a lot and will be checking out your website. Sounds great. Awesome to be with you. Take care. Take care, too. And Bye. listeners, stay with us. Uh, in just a few minutes, we'll be back and answering your listener questions. So come on back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results, 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice goals. Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. And we're going to do what is my favorite part of this show, which is answering listener questions. And so my monthly reminder to folks to send your questions into us. Um, you can submit them through our website, getintocollege.com. You can email us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com, or drop us a DM on any of our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, we're everywhere. Just get drop into our messages, and we will get to your question as soon as we can. Uh, and joining me today is my fabulous colleague, Kira Tyler. She joined us last month to answer questions, and we had so much fun. Kira had to come back again so we could answer some more. So welcome, Kira. Hi, Shannon. Thanks for having me back. This is a blast. It, it always is fun. And I should mention Kira is a former admissions officer at Brandeis, and she is super smart and super tells it like it is. And that is why <laughs> I love having her to answer these questions. Um, it looks like we have, we've got more admissions than finance questions today. So I'm going to put you on the hot seat for the most part, Kira, but uh, I think we have one finance question if we want to start there. Yeah. Okay. Why don't we start? I'll ask you, Shannon. This is from Rebecca. Um, and she's asking, we have three children, grades 12th, 11th, and 9th. We have money in 529s, grandparent is custodian, for all three kids. Child number one will be attending private out-of-state college this fall 2023 term. The college offers only need-based aid, and the need-based aid presented in their financial aid package meets our EFC, expected family contribution, including the subsidized student loan. We will still have to take out loans, and also my employer offers repayment of a student loan in my name up to 10000 that we can apply for and take at any time. Child number two will enter college in the fall 2024 term, and child number three will enter fall 2026. How will FAFSA changes affect us next year? How do we know the best order in which we should use money and what money or loans to use up front? and what to use down the road as our best financial strategy to optimize our qualification for student aid. How do I find an expert in specific financial guidance for a situation like this who knows the intricacies of financial aid with three kids in college at once and with the FAFSA changes just coming? I want to know how this will impact our particular situation. Can you provide any advice or contacts? Woo. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so there is a lot going on there. Um, 
though, Rebecca, it's, you know, it feels like a lot, but it's pretty typical. You know, lots of families have lots of different kids and they're going in at different times and they have different sources of money. So even though it's, it's like, it's a lot for everybody. <laughs> Everybody's dealing with the with these questions and how do we manage this and what money do we pull from where? Um, I'm going to punt a little bit on this question to just note to Rebecca that on our next week's show, we are going to be doing a whole segment on FAFSA simplification. And that's what they're not actually simple, but that, that is the name of uh, what they're calling the, the big changes that are happening with the FAFSA for this upcoming school year. I think, Rebecca, in your situation, based on the bit that I know here, the, the biggest changes that are likely to affect you are they are no longer going to be accounting for multiple kids in college at the same time, um, which clearly you, you've got three kids here who are all going to be in college at the same time. Um, so you were going to lose the, the prior benefit uh, of that accounting. Basically, whatever they think you can contribute for child number one, they also think you can contribute for child number two and number three. They're not going to divide it three ways anymore, um, which is, is going to be a challenge for many families. I will say that that is the change that is happening to the federal financial aid formula, private colleges often use their own formula. It's called the, the two sort of types of formulas that the colleges can use are the federal methodology. That's the FAFSA, the formula that goes along with it. And there's something called institutional methodology, the colleges that use the CSS profile. It's an extra financial aid application um, that these private colleges use. The institutional methodology will still, at most schools, likely account for multiple kids in college. So that may affect some of your thinking on the application process of where to apply. There, you may have continued to have that benefit of an adjustment for multiple in college at the private schools that use that CSS profile form. Uh, at the colleges that just use the FAFSA, you're not going to get that accounting anymore. So, so that will affect you. Um, on the flip side, something that will benefit you, uh, Rebecca, about the FAFSA changes is there used to be um, a, uh, I don't want to say punishment, but, but an accounting for if grandparents or people outside the, the main household were helping kids with college. So you say here, you've got the grandparents own 529s for your kids that under the old formula, that would have a very, very detrimental effect on financial aid eligibility. Under the new federal formula, they are, they no longer even ask about folks outside the, the primary household contributing to college. So it will have zero effect. Um, again, at the colleges that just use the FAFSA, the colleges that use the profile may still ask for that information, may still account for it. So there's some changes, that, you know, at FAFSA only schools, you may do better on some things. At profile schools, you may do better um, on some other things. So one reason to have a nice balanced college list that includes all different kinds of schools and in you can kind of see where you end up doing better. Um, with that said, I do think you could benefit from some professional help here who can really walk through your particular situation and what resources you have 
uh, and where your kids might be thinking about going. Um, so in terms of like recommendations for um, an expert, uh, maybe a little self-serving, I would recommend us here at Brighter Horizons College Coach. Agreed. <laughs> Check us out. Go to our website, uh, getintocollege.com. Um, if you do decide to look elsewhere, the one really important point I would make that there are many um, finance experts who are not necessarily financial aid experts. So if you're looking around, interviewing folks about how they could help you, I would really try and get a grasp about whether or not they understand the financial aid system. Ask them about these upcoming changes to the FAFSA and see what they say. Um, see if they are aware of those changes and how they might affect you. Um, so for, for this, for questions like this, I always recommend going to an expert that has financial aid office experience and understands the financial aid process. Um, but there is a lot going on. So I would recommend um, seeing if, if you can get some help from an expert to, to kind of put the puzzle, help you put the puzzle pieces together. And just one just very quick point, because it, it sort of jumped out at me, that you mentioned that you your employer offers repayment of a student loan in your name up to $10,000. Um, I would just double check on that, Rebecca. Um, the reason I say so is here at Bright Horizons, we have another division besides the college coach division, we have a division called Ed Assist that manages student loan repayment programs for employers. Um, and all of the employers that we work with currently at Edisys, I'm sorry, so I should say none of them repay parent loans through their student loan repayment program. They, are, uh, they repay loans that employees have borrowed for their own education. It is perfectly possible that your employer does something different, but that is something I would double check on before you're counting on, oh, I can borrow these parent plus loans to pay for my kid's college and my employer will pay it back. Just double check that to make sure that they will in fact do that because most employers do not. So that's just something I would double check on. But a lot going on. Listen to our episode next week about FAFSA simplification. If you want to check out our website, getintocollege.com and see if we can help you a little bit more personally moving forward, please do that. Awesome. And now, Kira, I've got a question for you. The first one comes in from Jen, yeah. uh, who submitted this through our Facebook page. And she says, my student attends a full-time, private, highly respected online high school. This high school has synchronous classes with teachers and students on Zoom, chatting, having discussions, and learning together. So the teachers get to know the kids in the same way they would at uh, a normal high school. I have no doubt they will write excellent letters of recommendation in the major subject areas. However... I know that this delivery model is still new and there may be some question as to how my child will do in the quote unquote real world. I know that generally additional letters of recommendation are frowned upon, but given my students' unique situation, would they benefit from including an additional letter of recommendation from someone in the local programs they participate in, like the leader of the theater program that my child has done for the last three summers? Uh, thank you for your help. Got it. Okay. So um, I like to always think about the instructions around submitting an application, right? So if a school says we want one, please give them one. 
They say we want to, to is best, right? I do think that there are some situations that call for an additional letter. Um, I'll be honest, like, I think if we had talked about this without the context of a worldwide pandemic behind us, um, we would have felt like this is like really out of like, oh, wow. But that, you know, remember kids applied to COVID without having met some of their teachers in person um, and were given, you know, wonderful letters of recommendation. So I will say that I think it can absolutely be done. Sounds like your student is getting a really rich and full education. Um, but just like I tell anybody um, at any particular type of school, public, private, online, um, homeschool, whatever, if you believe that beyond the requirements that are asked for by various schools, your student has additional information to share, it's truly relevant. This person mm -hmm. knows them in a way that these other teachers or trusted adults do not know your student. Then I think one is fine, one beyond. But um, I would really think about like, what does this person have to offer that is not gonna be found anywhere else? And if truly the answer is there is something special uh, and additional to share, then go for it. If honestly you think about it and there isn't really anything different, no worries, they're gonna be just fine. I have full confidence. Perfect. So colleges, you know, in the last few years, maybe more used to seeing students who have had online only experiences. So it's not such an, an oddity like it would have been a few years ago. That's right, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Uh, next question comes in from Joe uh, and he asks, what is the best way to determine what a target school is as a backup for your reach school? This is pretty easy for large state schools, but for a private school like Emory, it is not apparent what school is like Emory, but easier to get into. Most sites just list similar schools that are similarly selective. Right. Okay. Um, I'm not quite sure, to be frank, like what the difference is between public versus private. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly, Ole Miss is not the same as University of Vermont, even though they are both large or University of Delaware, larger public state universities. Um, but I, I think what I'm, this is a great question. Like when I'm helping students consider their list, like they may be stuck, let's say on a school like Emory. That's my dream school. It's what I've always thought about. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Great. Emory's going nowhere. Let's try to figure out the Emory, the other Emory's that exist. And so you need to be thinking about attributes that um, exist within a particular school. Again, let's lean on Emory um, that you're trying to duplicate. Is it the size? Is it the setting? Right? Because mm -hmm. Emory is very urban adjacent. It has its own campus, but it's in Atlanta. Yeah. So are you trying to, tr to find that? Are you trying to hit the size? Are you trying to find a mid-sized liberal arts university that has uh, a business school? Like, what is it? You know, and I would come up with like eight to 10 of these and mm -hmm. tell your student, we're only considering half of those things that are found outside of the classroom. The rest have to be focused in on the academic experience. And then I think um, that you can probably look on any uh, available search tools that are around. They should be able to give you, um, it may be, and in, in, I don't mean to be disparaging, that's not my intention, but it may be that your perception of similarity around selectivity 
isn't 2023 selectivity, if that makes sense. Mm. Right. So I think you want to be mindful of that. Um, the Fisk Guide to Colleges, which we really love. Yes, it's old school and analog, but I think it can be really helpful. Their overlap section is really good because it does have a wide range of schools and they're really trying hard to help students find an Emory that accepts, let's say, 70% of its applications, you know, not 15 or whatever. So um, I would say think about the attributes that are most appealing have an open mind about some school names that perhaps you're not familiar with. That's a really big thing, especially if we're trying to figure out target or safety. These are sometimes schools that live a little bit more in the shadows for no good reason, except maybe they don't have a phenomenal sports program. I don't know. Um, but so be willing to like explore and look truly into some other schools that you may not be familiar with. The Fisk Guide is huge other search tools that are online, I think can be helpful as well. That is great advice. I love thinking of it as not, I like Emory. What are other schools like Emory? But what is it about Emory that you like? And looking for those attributes in other schools that make, yeah. that makes a lot of there sense. There are, there are other Emory's out there for sure. Um, if that's the kind of school you're targeting, you just have to be open to it. Right. My favorite quote from you is Emory isn't going anywhere. <laughs> All right, we got Emory. It's not going anywhere. Got <laughs> All right, next question comes in for Rob. It's a short question. Uh, we'll see okay. if it's a short answer. In okay. Texas, computer programming is counted as meeting the requirements for language other than English for high school. Yeah. How would this impact admissions at a Cal State campus? So this is, this is interesting to me. It's computer programming counts as we call it a foreign language in Texas. So I think this is very interesting, right? That computer programming would be considered what we call as a world language, yes. right? We don't even call it a foreign language yeah. anymore. And so um, here's what I will say to me. If your student is, is like college bound, four year school bound, and seems to be entertaining places outside of their home state of Texas, mm -hmm. you then have got to, in my opinion, you need to have a world spoken language. Okay. And if, so that would be Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, doesn't matter, any of those. If your school offers ASL, American Sign Language, that can sometimes serve as an alternative um, you know, as an additional option as well. If your child has, uh, requires an accommodation and cannot actually do a world language, then there are other ways, <clears throat> excuse me, to satisfy the requirement or be exempted. So that's my piece about that. Um, to be honest, everybody should be learning a language other than English. I'm just gonna, if you wanna go to Hot college. Hot takes by Kira. Right, hot takes. If you wanna go to college, you should. Because even if you satisfy the requirement for admission, you may have to use a lang take a language once you're there, right? right? So it would be nice to be able to have some fluency and background um, so that you're not starting off day one with something completely new. So that's that. Um, now, the Cal States are like 23 campuses. They have varying levels of selectivity. 
Cal States can be complicated because they offer admission by in the local context. And then their purpose is to serve California residents first and foremost. And then they're looking for, you know, students outside of the local context, still within the state of California, and then also out of stairs. So there are a couple of things to consider. My answer is, I do not believe it satisfies the requirement. Um, you'll want to guarantee and check, but um, some of those like A through G requirements that the UCs also talk about also exist within some of the framework around requirements for Cal States. Again, Cal State Fullerton, Cal State East Bay, very different from Cal Poly Slow, right? So part of this really also depends on which, which Cal State and to some extent, which major because some majors are more easily accessible than others. Others can be impacted. So I would definitely say your students should be taking a language other than computer programming to satisfy this. Even if it's okay in Texas, if they want reasonable options anywhere else, I would cover my, my bets and do that. Makes sense. And we have about two minutes, Kira. Okay. Yes. Uh, Johanna or Rob, what do you think is a quicker one to answer? I would say uh, Rob. <laughs> Rob asks, all the Common App schools on my list are regional public colleges that admit by GPA and dole merit dollars based on SAT score. They all mark the essay as optional. Regardless of self-reflection, is there any real benefit to completing the essay? I would always say do the essay. Why wouldn't you do the essay? Unless there's a reason. Because it's hard, Kira. I know it's hard. <laughs> um, but, you know, you never know. You never fully know what's going to go into the process of reading unless you're actually in that reading opportunity in that particular year. Right. It could be that in this particular year, they're like, you know what? This kid didn't do the essay and we wish that they would have. And while it's optional, that would have shown us some additional interest and motivation on their behalf, yes. right? Or maybe the essay could be used further beyond from, um, you know, for outside scholarship opportunities. So mm -hmm. like to me, I think it seems like they're bright, right? Like yeah. I, I would, I would go through the process sure. of doing the essay and, you know, um, I think you have more to lose more question marks by not doing it than by doing it. Yes. And we want to avoid question marks. Right. You we don't want to, want to wonder if I had wonder. the essay. That's right. Yes. That's right. So I would, I would write the essay. It's a good question though, Rob. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. So I think that's all that we have time for today, Kier. I'm so sad to let you go because this is so well, much I'm fun. Sad to go. <laughs> Thank you as usual. I hope you'll come back soon. Uh, thanks, thanks everybody for, for joining today. Uh, if you did enjoy this episode, please leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We definitely appreciate all of your feedback. It does help, help more families find us. So thank you in advance for doing a, a review. Uh, I also want to let you know that you should join us next week. We are going to be looking at uh, pathways to careers in early childhood education. We're going to be talking with one of our colleagues right here at Bright Horizons, who is, of course, a, a world leader in early childhood education. So we're going to learn about early ed pathways. We're going to learn about what an independent college counselor actually does. What do these people like us actually do for a living? What are we getting paid for, Kira? <laughs> we will find Great out. Great question. <laughs>
<laughs> and then, as I mentioned earlier, we are also going to learn all about the historic upcoming changes to the FAFSA, known as FAFSA simplification. Um, but here's a little hint. It's not actually that simple. Um, so join us next week. And we are here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation. New episodes drop every Thursday. The goal of this show is to demystify the college admissions process for families around the globe. To help with this mission, please leave a review and share with your friends. And to learn more about Bright Horizons College Coach, visit GetIntoCollege.com.